So here's my question. Don't raise your hand, but here's my question. Jesus' miracles. He walks on water. He calms storms. He feeds 5,000 people with a boy's lunch. He heals blind people and deaf people and paralyzed people. He raises people from the dead. Those miracles. Does he do those miracles because he's the son of God? Is it because he's divine that he does those miracles? Or does he do, does he do those miracles as a man? God in the flesh. Is it, is it the flesh part that he does those miracles out of? Or is it the God part that he does those miracles out of? Obviously, he's, he's 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And I'm asking you, if I'm, if I'm making you choose, would you say he does those things because he's divine or he does those things out of his humanity? So last Sunday of the year, it's a bit of a transition coming out of Christmas and Advent. We've been looking at this whole idea of God with us. God's in front of us, leading us. He's behind us, protecting us. He's next to us, uh, walking through life with us, and he's beneath us, serving us. And before we jump into um, the next book of the Bible that we'll start next week, I, w- I wanted to take some time and talk today about God in us to empower us. It's a nice transition. Some of you are goal-oriented people. You think in terms of a new year and maybe New Year's resolutions. I want to give you some, uh, maybe some food for thought as you're considering those things. So Jesus' miracles, were they done as God or man? I think the answer to that question is very important because it will determine in your mind what it looks like to follow Jesus. If you say, or if I say, well, he says, follow me, but there are these huge chunks of what I read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that he does as God, well, I can't follow him in those things because I'm not. I'm not God, and so I can't do those things. And so I've got to figure out, out of what I'm reading in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what is he doing as a man because that's I'm a man. And so if I'm going to follow him, I've got to know, well, what, where are we, how is he landing? Where are those things coming from? If he's doing all of that stuff out of his divinity, I'm not divine. And so I don't necessarily need to follow him in those areas. I probably can't follow him in those areas. If you think about the miracles of Jesus, there's some broad categories. We're not going to go through all of them. Physical healings, he does that often. Um, deliverance from people who are oppressed by uh, demonic powers. You see that repeatedly as well. He raises a couple of people from the dead. And then there are these things, I'm calling them signs that confirm his identity. They're, they're things that let us know he was sent. By God, They confirm his sentness, if I can make that word up. And those are really the, the miracles over nature, calming the storm, walking on water, feeding these large crowds with a small amount of food. When he does those, if you'll read those stories, they're always these eye-opening moments for people. They go, there, there's something different about him. Even than these other guys who've worked miracles in the past, there's something different about these guys, about this guy. It confirms his sentness. If you look in Acts you'll see that all of those categories are present in the lives of the disciples. And the situation in the book of Acts is just like ours. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's no longer physically present. And you'll notice as you read through that the same categories of miracles that we see in the Gospels, we will see in the book of Acts. You don't need to read all of that scripture up there. I'm going to go through it really quick. But some of you ask for the slides and you'll have it as background. When you get their physical healings, we see that. There's an interesting story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a lady, and she's bleeding, and she grabs onto Jesus' robe, and she's healed when she touches his robe. And we see something very similar in Acts. It says in Acts 19 that people who touched Paul's handkerchiefs were healed. We see Jesus healing someone who's paralyzed. We see in Acts, 
John and uh, Peter and John healing someone who's crippled. You'll see again as you read through Acts, there's physical healings and not just from Peter and Paul. There are other guys who participate in that as well. What's the next one? Deliverance from oppression. Jesus does that in the Gospels. We see in Acts, there's a, a fortune teller, and Paul delivers her from this evil spirit. The what's the next one? Raising people from the dead. There's two different instances in Acts. One is Peter. There's a woman named Tabitha. She gets sick and she dies. And Peter brings her back from death. There's another one. Eutychus is his name. He's listening to Paul preach. And the Bible says he drones on and on and on. And Eutychus actually falls out of a window and dies. And rather than Paul saying, well, it serves you right for falling asleep during the sermon, he goes down and he brings it back to life. We see that. Raising from the dead. These signs. There's some signs in Acts that confirm that the disciples are sent by God. They're different. Now, these are, it's not a one-to-one, but it's the same category. Remember, there's this category in the Gospels that confirms Jesus is sent by God. And we see the same category in Acts. There's a place where a guy named Elimas, he's an advisor to this ruler. And Paul's trying to share the Gospel to this ruler, and Elimas is getting in the way. And so Paul strikes him with blindness. Doesn't sound very loving, but he says, you're not going to see. And then the ruler is open to the gospel. He's seen this miraculous sign which says, hey, there's something about this guy. There's a story, I think it's in Acts 17. Paul and Silas are in prison and they're worshiping and there's an earthquake and all of the prison doors open up. And so the jailer assumes everybody's left. And in that time, if you're a jailer, you're responsible for the prisoners. If they escape, then you die. So he's going to kill himself. And Paul says, hey, we haven't left. And the jailer says, why not? What's going on? And Paul leads him and his whole family to the Lord, and they all get baptized. Again, you have this sign, the shaking of the jail, the opening of the doors, and then also Paul and Silas being willing to stay. There's another story in Acts 28. Paul is on a boat. It sinks. He swims to shore. He's building a fire. He gets bitten by a snake. And the people all assume it's because he's a murderer. They say, you, you escape the storm at sea. But the gods, they, they're still out to get you. And so you've been bitten by this snake, and it's going to kill you. And Paul shakes the snake off and goes about his business, and they see there's no ill effects from the venom. And in the Bible says they change their mind about him. And they think he's a god, and he's able to explain to them who he is and who Jesus is. So in, those are just three quick examples of these signs, these miracles, that confirm these guys, Peter, Paul, James, John, Philip, Stephen, they're all sent by God. So you see the same categories of things done in the life of Jesus, also done in Acts after Jesus has ascended into heaven. In Matthew 4, Jesus gives an overview of his um, mission. What he says, this is his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Everything Jesus says falls under that umbrella. And then what does he do? We read that in Matthew 4, 23. He teaches, he preaches, and he heals. And again, everything he does falls under that category. Everything he says falls under the umbrella of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and everything he does falls under the umbrella of teaching, preaching, and healing. In, Ma- in Matthew 10, that's the first ever short-term mission trip, Jesus gives the disciples the exact same assignment. What does he say? This is what I want you to tell people. The kingdom of heaven is near, and this is what I want you to do. Heal, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received all of these things from me. And I want you to freely give them to other people. Jesus' understanding of his ministry is the exact same of of his understanding of the disciples' ministry. What Jesus does, he says, the disciples, you're going to do. And the message Jesus preaches, he tells the disciples, you're going to preach the same message. My contention, 
And I want you with me on this. There's some things where I don't mind if you disagree with me on this one. I want you with me. I want you to see that Jesus' life and ministry was lived as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to look and say he did those things because he was God. Because you're not. And it won't. all he will be at that point is inspirational to you. If you can say... Jesus' life and ministry he did as a man, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that his life is not just inspirational, it can also be an example for you. This is what it looks like to live life in the kingdom of God. This is, let's see that next slide. Here's some explicit statements. These all three are in John. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. However you want to define greater either in kind or in number, the truth is still there. Jesus says, you're going to do the things that I've done. That's the expectation from him. John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, this is in talking to the disciples, it's for your good that I'm going away. Think about that. He's talking to these men who he spent three years with, and he's saying to them, it's better for you that I leave. He's God in the flesh, and he's saying, it's better for you if I go. The only thing better than God with us is God in us. And until Jesus ascends into heaven, God can't live within us. The timing is after Jesus ascends into heaven, 50 days later, there's Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit's poured out, and then God can live within us. Jesus can't get inside of me. He's got a body. The Holy Spirit doesn't, and he can. And that's what's better. That's why it's better for us. It's not just God with us locally. And if he's with me, if he's with us, then he's not with people in Smyrna. It's better for us because the Holy Spirit can indwell each of us always, everywhere. John 20, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then immediately the action, receive the Holy Spirit. We've said before, we're all missionaries. Missionaries has nothing, being a missionary has nothing to do with whether you move and everything to do with whether you're sent. And Jesus says, I'm sending you. He sends each one of us, and he says, I'm going to send you in the exact same way that I was sent. I was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit, and so I'm sending you in the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, I was sent as this divine being who just floated around on earth for three years. I was sent as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit, and so you can receive him as well. One more. This is a contrast, or this is a parallel. Luke and Acts are both written by Luke. That's two volumes. Volume 1 is Luke. It details the life and ministry of Jesus. Volume 2 is Acts. It details the life uh, and the ministry of the apostles, the beginning of the church. And if you'll see, notice in both cases, Luke 4 and Acts 2, similarities. Jesus, the very beginning of his ministry, returns to Galilee out of the wilderness and the power of the Spirit. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? He's anointed me to preach. He's anointed me to proclaim freedom. He's anointed me... Uh, to help blind people recover their sight, to release oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Acts 2. All of them, that's the disciples, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. What you see is it's, it's a parallel. Jesus didn't begin his public ministry until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says to the disciples, you've got to wait too. There's a pause between Luke and Acts. The last couple of verses in Luke And the first couple of verses in Acts are very similar. And in both cases, what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, y'all got to wait. You can't do what's next until you receive power, until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be free.
to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You see a similarity there. The way Jesus began in Luke, it's the way the disciples begin in Acts. In both cases, it's in the power of the Spirit. Again, what I want you to hear is that's normative for us. There's only one time in the Gospels that I found. You can see if you can find another one. One time in the Gospels where Jesus tells his disciples, you can't follow me. The base invitation, the most basic invitation uh, from Jesus to others is follow me. That's the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It means to follow Jesus. There's one place where I found him saying, you can't come. And that was to the cross and then to hell. You can't do that, disciples. That's just for me. Where I'm going, you can't come. But I'll be back. Every other place, every other time, he says, follow me. All of his life is followable except for the cross. That was unique to him. His death is the only one that's salvific. His death is the only one that can pay the price for somebody else. Nobody else's death can do that. And so that part of his mission is unique to him. Everything else that you read in the Gospels is available to us. When he says, follow me, he lived life with these guys for three years. They followed him everywhere. And they did the things that he did and said the things that he said. And the same thing is true for us. And I want you to hear this is not just about the things that are obviously supernatural. Well, yeah, if you're going to pray for someone who's sick, then you need the Holy Spirit to do that. I want to say if you want to follow him at all, then you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts 7, Stephen, he's the first martyr in the history of the church. He's being stoned to death. And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Who does that sound like? Jesus. From the cross said the same thing. Even when it comes down to our character, we need to be empowered by the Spirit in order to follow after Jesus. Ultimately, you only have two options. You can be a rowboat or you can be a sailboat. You decide. It's your call. Rowboat. It's all up to you. How strong you are. How disciplined you are. Your amount of endurance. That's it. And you're going to go as far as you can take you. Rowboat people tend to say, I'm talking about Christians, God, show me where to go and I'll get there. You just point me in the right direction and I'll, I'll make it happen. Show me the finish line. God, I'm asking you, what do you want in my life? Sincere. God, show me. And then we set about rowing to get there. Sometimes we make it, sometimes we don't. If we get there, we're wiped out when we do. And it takes a long time. Sailboat people. God, point me in the right direction. Show me where you want me to go. Now I need you to empower me to get there. In John 3, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as wind. That's a metaphor. Put the sails up and he'll get you there. And again, I'm not just talking about the obviously supernatural things. Jesus says, love your enemies. I I don't know who can do that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Who can do that for long? You can grit your teeth through Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. But can you, over the long term, love someone who's an enemy of yours? Can you bless those and pray for those who persecute you long term? I don't know how to do that. Can you forgive people 70 times, 7 times? I don't know how to do that, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, I don't want you thinking strictly in terms of obviously supernatural ministry. Because then what you'll say is, well, that's not me, and so this doesn't apply. I want you to hear that to follow Jesus at all. We need, you have, those are your choices. Rowboat or sailboat. One more, I'm going to change metaphors on you. So, that's a Mercedes G550. If I could have any car in the world, that's the one that I would have. 
never been in one, don't know anybody that has one, but for some reason, for 10 years, that's the thing that I've wanted. It only costs $115,000. I'm never going to buy one. Some of you, maybe y'all will become multimillionaires and you want to do something nice for your pastor. My birthday's February 13th. So you can get me one of those. Paul in Galatians 3 says, foolish. You guys are foolish. Having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to continue to attain your goal in human effort? After seeing the destination from God, getting started, are you trying to finish by rowing? Everyone who's a Christian, the, the Holy Spirit lives within you. That's Ephesians 1.14. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He's the one that makes you a new creation. If you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit has already been at work in your life. But again, the issue for us is my continuing in the Spirit, asking Him to empower me, or am I then taking matters into my own hands? Imagine, Brandon buys me this car for my birthday, and he fills it up with gas, and he gives it to me. And I love it, and it, it gets terrible gas mileage, 12 to 15 miles a gallon. So I drive it for a little bit, and then I've got to get more gas. But instead of getting more gas... I take out a saw and I cut two holes in the floorboard and I stick my legs through it and I go Fred Flintstone. The car weighs 5,500 pounds. How far am I going to get? Not very. We do that. That's beginning in the spirit. It's filled up with gas in, in trying to attain my goal with human effort. I'm just going to pick this thing up and run. He's given it to me. It's my responsibility, right? He's given me this thing. The Christian life is not meant, and I would say it is impossible to live based on your own effort. It doesn't mean you're not responsible. 100% we cooperate. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Absolutely. 100% we have a responsibility to obey what we feel the Lord's saying. But it's not not this kind of obedience. Rowing, it's God. If I'm going to love them, you've got to help me. It's not in me to do. You've got to anoint me. You've got to empower me to love these people because I can't do it on my own. Not just, again, the things that are obviously supernatural. Everything about following Jesus requires, I would say requires, the work of his spirit. So you have a choice. You get to decide how do you want to live. We'll wrap with this. See that last one. This is Luke, Jesus, talking about prayer. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Nobody does that. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Nobody. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is not rocket science. This is very simple, and I want you to hear me. This has nothing to do with personality. This has nothing to do with temperament. And this has nothing to do with your sense of place in the world. This is not, well... My job is I just stay home with my kids. Then you absolutely need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. Well, I just I work in the, a secular company. I don't care. This is not just for Jason Winkle in China. This is everyone. If you're going to follow Jesus, this is the provision that he's made for you. His spirit. He said, it's better for you if I leave. Why? Because then your advocate, your counselor, your helper, however you want to translate that word, will come. If we're not taking, if we're not taking advantage of the helper, I don't know what we're doing at that point. So this is not meant to make you feel guilty, but I want you to think back. When was the last time I intentionally asked the Holy Spirit to fill me? 
If it's been more than a handful of days, to me, then you're either a super-duper person or it's probably been too long. Paul in Ephesians 5.18, when he talks and he says, be filled with the Spirit, the verb tense is continuous. It's continuous action. This is a prayer that's prayed regularly, daily even. And just like a car, the more often you drive, the more often you've got to fill it up with gas. The, if you're attempting to follow Jesus in multiple areas of your life, you're going to have to ask more often. For most of us, the issue is not there's no gas in the tanks. The car never gets out of the garage. We don't even try in some places. This isn't for me. That's not for me. That's not for me. We just do the things that we're comfortable doing in our own strength. The things we're just, we just row. And so I say, I can't make it all the way across there, and so I compromise. So the first thing I do is say, God, show me, is there any area of my life, anything in my life that would keep you from filling me with your spirit? In general, it's just disobedience. If I'm living in some kind of heinous disobedience, then it's going to be difficult. God, I'm going to disobey you in all of these areas, but I want you to empower me in these areas. It doesn't really work that way. My heart's integrated, and so I've got to be willing to say, God, are there things it's not, you don't have to take three weeks and figure it out. You take ten seconds. He's a good father, and he'll let you know. He wants to give you his spirit, and he'll let you know. In general, unconfessed sin or unforgiveness, those are two areas that can trip you up. If you're asking to be filled, but you're holding a grudge against somebody, or if you're asking to be filled, and you know there's this sinful behavior pattern in your life, and you're just not willing to give it up. It's not gonna, probably not going to happen for you. And then you just ask, just like you ask for anything. God, I need you to empower me. I need you to anoint me, if you like that word better. I need you to fill me in this area. I don't care what the language is. It's the heart behind it that says, I can't do this on my own. I was thinking about, for me, kind of my phrase moving into next year. It's taken from a Eugene Peterson book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. What does it look like for me to be faithful, intentional, consistent over time in multiple areas? And as I think about that, I realize there's not one of them that I can do on my own. If what God says to me is be selfish, then I don't need his help. Be lazy. Got it. Go halfway. I can do that. Anything else, I'm done. Love your wife as I love the church. Out. I can, no. I can't. She's wonderful. I can't do that. Like three days is how long I can do that. God, you've got to anoint me. You've got to empower me to love Misty the way you love me. I can't do that on my own. When I think about our kids and... It's not just saying, God, what do you want to see in them? What's my role as their dad? I can't do that long term. Apart from him, God, I need you to empower me to be a parent to Tom and Mary Davidson and Nate and Ty. Here in this church, in the community, personally, in all of those areas, for me, as I think about what I feel like God is putting, speaking to me, showing me, this is where you need to go, I can't get there. And so I've got to ask him to, and that's what he wants. For me to ask him to empower me to do that. He's not saying, there's the destination, now go make it happen. There's the destination, now put your sails up. That's what he's looking for for me. And so you simply ask, and then you live as if he's answered the prayer, because he has. I'm not looking for fireworks. I'm not looking for a miracle scorecard. I'm not looking for any of that. What I'm saying is, are you living sent? In the same way Jesus is sent. He was sent in the power of the Spirit. And are you living that same way? That doesn't mean that God takes you over and suddenly you become Superman. No, not at all. It's cooperation from you with him in your life. It's just a recognition that there are resources available beyond your own. God, you've got to help me with this. 
I need your grace, your enablement to do these things. And so you've got to fill me. If I'm going to be effective in this area, if I'm going to be faithful in this area, if I'm going to become more like Jesus in this area, then you've got, you've got to do the work because I can't. Not looking, not looking for lightning bolts or electricity. No, none of that stuff. Oswald Chambers says, don't make a principle out of your experience. Let God be as original with you as, or with others as he was with you. And I would say that's the same even in our own life. God is, is consistent, but he's not predictable. If you read through the Bible, there are things that God does consistently, but he rarely does, the same, does something in the same way twice. Jesus consistently healed people who were blind, but he never did it the same way. Sometimes he spoke, sometimes he touched them. Once he spit in this guy's eyes, once he made mud and put it on this guy's eyes, he does different things. Consistent, he heals blind people, not predictable. What's he going to do this time? And so the same thing is true. He's consistent. If you ask, he will answer. God, fill me with your spirit. Absolutely, he will. Not predictable in what that looks like or how that's going to play out in your life. I want us to, I'm going to stop now so we have enough time for ministry. Bo, if you can come back up. We'll have ministry teams here up in the corners, and we'll pray with you about anything that you have going on, but a few things in particular. One, if you're tired, we want to pray with you. It could very well be that you're rowing. I don't want you to hear that as condemnation, but as an invitation. If you're wiped out, you kind of run a long race, and you're tired, let us pray with you, that God will renew you in that way. I think it's Isaiah talks about God renewing us, and so that's what we want to see happen, and he'll do that um, by the Spirit. If you've never prayed for God to fill you with, your, with His Spirit, then let us pray with you about that. And again, we're not looking for any, anything other than just you being obedient to the Lord and saying, God, I've, I've been doing this on my own, and I need you to give me grace to do this. Oh, and this other category, if there's something and you're just banging your head against a wall, you're not, it's not, it's not, you're not seeing any fruit. It's not that you're tired, you're just frustrated. You're not seeing any movement in some particular area where you feel like the Lord is stirring you. We want to pray that God would give you the power um, to not just to persevere, but, but to really see some breakthrough in that area. So you guys can stand. I'm going to pray. Bo will lead us in a song. And then he'll dismiss us when we're done. And if the... Yeah. God, I thank you that you haven't left us alone. When Jesus ascended into heaven, you sent us your spirit. We thank you that you're Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And you, again, you haven't left us to our own devices. You haven't said, here's the plan, now go execute. You haven't said, there's the mountain, go climb it. And God, I pray our tendency is, to, is rowboat. That's who we are. And we need grace to live lives as sailboats. And so I pray now that you would come, Jesus. You say your Father gives the Holy Spirit without limit. There are a lot of people in here. And so we're asking you to come and give each one of us what we need to be faithful to what you're stirring in us. Even as some of these folks are already looking forward to next year, you're putting things in them. Some of them have to do with their their health or their finances or work or family, even in those things, those resolutions or goals, we're going to fail apart from your enablement. So God, in everything you're stirring in our heart, we want to ask you for the resources 
We want to cooperate 100%. We want to do our part. But we want to recognize where our source of power comes from. And it's not our will. It's not our dedication. It's not our want to. It's not our discipline. It's your spirit. God, I also want to pray just specifically. I have a feeling that there's several people here. This is not comfortable for them. It doesn't feel like them. It's something from their church background or it just, it doesn't, it's not, they're nervous about this whole idea. And God, my prayer is that they don't have to listen to me as they just listen to you as a good father who wants to give them the best gift, which is your spirit. And I pray that you just, you'd work in their hearts. And they would respond appropriately to what you're saying to them. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys feel free to come forward and Bo will dismiss us after this song.